Hey everybody, it's Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. Glover Teixeira's title win and the question of how long will he reign? We'll tackle that. Plus, I'll talk with Big John McCarthy about the upcoming Bellator 270 and the bad refing we saw on Saturday. Also, what is next for the phenom Kamzat Shemaev in the welterweight division? Glover Teixeira, as you heard, winning the light heavyweight title and winning it at 42 years old. You know, John Anik had that line in mind. Great stuff by him. But the emotions of that moment was it, it was propelled to some degree by that that this rocky story, right? 42, like I said, could have been in high school with the guy. Um, 42 years old and winning the light heavyweight title and winning it in dominant fashion. What I saw in that fight is the first round, the takedown, he hit simple double leg, nothing special about it. He's not a, a, a fantastic wrestler by any stretch of the imagination, but he's solid. That double leg that put Jan Blahovich on his back, uh, kept him there almost the entire first round. It made Jan Blahovich, who had a, a, certainly a range advantage. He is a powerful striker. He certainly had a versatility advantage. After that takedown, I saw a guy in Jan Blahovich who just didn't want to throw strikes, who was nervous, who was gun shy because he didn't want to get taken down again. He saw how easily that takedown went. He felt how much pressure uh, Glover Teixeira was able to put on him. He didn't want any of that. So it made him not take advantage of his advantages. Does that make does that make sense at all? I saw a guy who was hesitant to throw strikes. And oftentimes when you're dealing, dealing with a superior grappler or someone with a superior takedown, it makes you shut down your, your striking offense. You just don't, you don't want to take any risk. You don't want the guy going underneath your punches. So if you don't have great footwork, you don't have a great jab, which are the safest things to do in the face of a, a superior grappler. Your power strikes are gone. You just don't have those anymore. And I really thought a lot of his kicks, a lot of things that, that might make him vulnerable to a takedown were his advantages against Glover Teixeira, and he couldn't throw any of them. I saw a guy who after round one was shook. I saw you nodding, Kelly. Is that what you saw as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think after the first takedown, that was strictly what Blahovich was focused on. And I know, I think Glover went for, I don't know, maybe two more before he ultimately got it to the ground again. And Blahovich was yeah. defending well, but that's because that was all he was focused on after that. So he couldn't do anything else. Yeah. He never got his own offense going. And you saw in Glover, and, and when I say not a great wrestler, I mean, he wasn't a Division One guy, wasn't an Olympian, wasn't, you know, one of those guys who can get this whenever he wants it. Right. And, and, but he works hard for it. He just puts his head down. He goes for it. We saw that in round two. We had to go to that well a couple times. But crazy pressure. And as soon as he got Jan Blahovich flattened out, it was over. As soon as he passed the guard, it was done. And I was really, really impressed by all of that. I was incredibly impressed by what he brought to the table. Did he show some good striking? Yeah. I think he rocked Jan Blahovich a couple times. Good left hook clipped him, but Jan Blahovic landed some good strikes on him too. It's that with the superior grappling, uh, Glover Teixeira felt totally comfortable, completely comfortable throwing his strikes. What are you gonna do? Take me down? Not worried about that. It allowed him to go forward. And we had this great story of a 42 year old guy who had his ups and downs. Now it's extremely rare. And this is statistically something I need to look at personally. Uh, what I've noticed uh, in my years of covering MMA is that usually when someone gets a title shot, 
For example, Glover Teixeira over John, uh, against John Jones, not over John Jones, against John Jones in 2014, he lost his next fight to Phil Davis. They almost always, once you get a title shot, you, next fight, you almost always lose. If you come up short in a title fight, your next fight, you almost always lose. It's really weird. And part of it is you're now considered elite. You're now considered one of the best. So your next fight is going to be against one of the best. You're fed to the next up and coming guy. Also, there's kind of this mental, I went for the, I went for the gold and I couldn't get it. And you take a step back in your career and your life. And it's, it can be a difficult time for it. So and in the middle, I got to get ready for another murderer. In this case it was Phil Davis for Glover Teixeira and he loses. And after that, um, until the Carl Roberson fight in 2019, his longest run was three. He beat OSB, Patrick Cummins, and Rashad Evans. And they lost to Anthony Johnson, beat Jared Kennedy. Lost to Gutterson, beat Serkinov. Lost to Corey Anderson. Then he went on this run that got him the title shot. Carl Roberson, Iwan Kutalaba, Nikita Krylov, Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos, and then, of course, Jan Bahovich. Anthony Smith was the one that really turned heads. I really thought Anthony was going to win that fight. I know he's my boy. I know he works in Sirius XM with me. I really thought he was going to win the fight. He was winning in the first round when Glover put on that surge and then did the same thing to Tiago Santos. I went, man, this guy really has a chance here. He really has a shot. But Jan Blahovic just seemed a little bit better. How long were Glover to share a reign? Not only his age, and I'll say it over and over again, 42 years old, okay? Um, but also that skill set he has is uh, tough top pressure, great passing, great jujitsu, hard striker. It, it's a pretty simple game. How long will he reign as champion? Does he have the toolkit to beat up-and-coming, difficult, light heavyweights who are knocking at his door? Right now, Alexander Rakic, I would say, is probably next, but there are a few candidates. Um, does he have the tools to have a long reign? Does he have the time left in his career to have a long reign? Does he want it now? Uh, does he want it now? Yeah, Yuri Prochaka, good chance he is next as well. He's a guy who's been doing very, very well. Thank you, Kelly. For typing here, Pachatka. Yeah, your Pachatka probably next is another good one. So th there are a couple of options. They're all hard hitters. They're all knockout guys. Can Glover Teixeira beat these guys? And does he have the time left to do that? Camps get much harder past age 40. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Big John McCarthy. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How you doing, Jimmy? Oh, I know you're stuck in an airport with, uh, you know, those clowns <laughs> I, I used to work with. You know, you got there. So I'm glad I could get you away from everybody for a sec to talk uh, on my show. It's really awesome. I know Rick's bugging you and all that stuff. So I thought we'd talk first <laughs> off. Uh, Bellator, you guys have a great card coming up. Uh, a lot of veterans that I'm expecting great things out of. But I'm looking right now at the co-main event, Patrick Mix versus James Gallagher. James Gallagher, one of those guys, one of how good he is, just ask him, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's perfect analogy right there. But you have to – there's there's so many things going into this fight, and you yeah. look at, you know, where he's been, what he's done, and you were there from the beginning when he was, you know, real young. But 
he switched camps. He's living in the States. He's with James Krause at Glory MMA. And we're going to see what that difference is in him compared to what he was doing with SBG. Great ground game. Absolutely fantastic jujitsu. He's a hunter. Patrick Mix, though, man, he's a powerful 135. Do you think that could maybe be the difference? Because Gallagher is, is only 25 years old. He doesn't have that man strength, right? You don't know if he's got that, that filled-out ability to go toe-to-toe with a big 135-er. Do you think he can against Patrick Mix? You know what? I, I think that that's the, the real question is what has James Krause been able to pull out of to a, a James Gallagher to match up with Patchy because if you're looking at the ground game, you're right. James Gallagher is he's got great MMA jujitsu, and not everyone that you know is a right. a great IBJJF is great in a cage and, and vice versa. But in the cage, he he searches the, the for the neck. He's great at it. He's got so many rear naked choke wins. But Patchy Mix is the same. I call him the human backpack because he's so good at getting the back. So I think they match up all, you know, you can say it's even there. So it, I, I think it is. The, the difference is on the feet. Is it the power of patchy mix or the volume of James Gallagher? Which one's going to take place and which one's going to overcome the other? And we're looking, of course, Patricky Pitbull, um, the, the larger of the Pitbull brothers, in a rematch with Peter Quilly, this time for the title. Uh, there was some, I don't want to say bad blood. The, the Pitbull brothers hate to lose at anything, right? But the idea that it was stopped because of a cut in a fight that he was starting to come back and dominate, uh, there's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder heading into this title fight. Do you think that's a big factor here? I think it's a, I think one of the things, you know, when, when you go into a fight, you know, you don't know your opponent exactly. You, you, you study them, you scout them, you check out things that you think you're going to be able to do against them. But once you've been in there and you know, it's no, no different than Queeley. Queeley now knows, okay, I know how hard Pitbull hits. Okay, I can deal with that. Or it is, okay, I know what Queeley does when I take him down. I now have to adjust. And I'm going to do something different. So I think they both learned something from the beginning. I thought that the stoppage – in the first one, it was a big cut, but it's on it's on his hairline, and he wasn't affected by it. So, I thought it was not the right right time to stop that fight for what it was. But they did, and I'm just glad that they're able to bring it back and do it again. Uh, what do you think about th- this? Obviously, his brother Patricio Pitbull, the champion at 155 and at 145, relinquishing the title at 55. Do you think he would have done that if his brother weren't fighting for the title, etc.? What'd you think of that whole uh, situation of him relinquishing the title? Well, I, I, you know, honestly, I, I thought he had the title for too long without doing something with it, yeah. but he was stuck. He was in the featherweight Grand Prix, but no, I don't think he would have relinquished it if it wasn't his brother that was going to get a chance of fighting for it. And I think, honestly, I think he kind of worked that whole thing out for him. I think in some way he said, Hey, I'll relinquish it. If you, if you make this, you know, you give Patricky, he's number one, make, make that a championship fight. And they said, yeah, we'll do that. Now there are, there are other lightweights that are upset about that. You know, Brent Primus, he's got, he's got a point in that. There's a couple of guys, but I look at it. Hey, you got to get that belt out there so someone can put it around their waist and then defend it. So this is a good matchup. It's great in Ireland. You know what it's like in Ireland. Oh, it's it's crazy there. Oh, it's the best. And so, you know, Peter Queeley coming out. Queeley's that guy, you know, gets a lot of decision victories, but he's good. He he just frustrates his opponents. Pitbull's got the power. Queeley's got the movement and the, the volume. Who's going to get it? That's the question. 
Uh, let's shift gears, of course, talking to Big John McCarthy, color commentator for Bellator MMA, also uh, the best referee in the business when he was doing it. So I want your opinion about uh, the Vacislav uh, Kiselev, I might be screwing up his name, in the uh, Elysio <laughs> Dos Santos fight, Benoit Saint-Denis. Now, I can understand, and I said this on air a little while ago, I can understand messing up one aspect of that job, right? Letting a a fight go too long, okay, you can do that. Screwing up an eye poke, you can do that. Screwing up a groin strike, okay, I can see that. I can't see screwing up every single one in one fight. That's what this referee did. What did you think watching it, man? I was going nuts. (laughs) I'm just being honest. I I was standing up in front of my TV, screaming at my TV like, you know, and it's exactly like you said. Look, if he had just let the fight go on, it's wrong, but it's understandable. And it's understandable based upon, hey, there's pressure there. He's trying to, you know, let the fight play on. And, he, and he's looking at it thinking he's doing a good job of letting this guy continue on, even though he doesn't realize you're, you're, you're ruining this guy's career. The loss is not going to ruin his career. The beatdown and the damage will. And so – you know, that was one element. Then, just like you said, the eye poke. But the way he handled it was so horrendous and so wrong for the fighter and the fighter that had been beat down that you look and you went, come on, you got to be kidding me. Then you take a look at the knee. I'm not saying the knee did not hit the groin. Maybe the shin did, and, and okay, that's fine. But to take a point for it? No, the knee was placed properly. And so you just looked at everything that he was doing. He was lost. He was in over his head, and that's why everyone thinks it's easy. You know, it's no different than everyone thinks it's easy to do what you do, Jimmy. It's not. It takes time to figure out how to get these things and do them right and be good at them so you just flow with how you're doing it. And at that moment, he wasn't ready for that type of fight. Uh, is it one of those things? Because, you know, you and I know in broadcasting, so when a show starts bad, it all kind of goes off the rails. Right? You start doubting yourself. The <laughs> producer, you know, Nordy starts getting in your ear going, all right, John, pay attention or whatever. You know, things kind of go downhill. You start kind of doubting yourself, right? You start thinking ahead. You're not thinking in the moment. Does the same thing happen in refereeing where it's kind of like one mistake absolutely. leads to another? Is that a possibility? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know what, if – but in, in this circumstance, I don't think that's what really was happening. I think he looked at it in the – I think he, he thought he was doing a good job by letting it go. Uh, and I think everyone that looks at that, 99.9% of people would say, no, you didn't. And you need to understand, you know, what is going on and how much – you know, it comes down to this, Jimmy. It's like you've seen fights, you know, your whole life. And you've seen fights when you were a kid in school. And you saw fights when a kid gets beat up by someone and starts turning away and covering up. Well, when a professional fighter does that, it's a clue. It's not real hard to figure out what's going on here because a professional fighter is trained to respond in some type of way offensively when people are damaging them. If you've got to move, but I've got to respond in some way, I cannot just turn and cover because I know that's going to end the fight. I know that's bad. So when that's happening, it's the fighter is not verbally telling you something, but physically, through their their manifestations of their actions, they are telling you, I cannot handle what is occurring. Your job as an official is to say, okay, I see what you're saying, and I'm going to get you out of the fight. He he felt that he was doing a good job there. But then I think when the fouls happened, he felt in the last one, he was like, oh, that's two fouls against the same guy. I I need to take charge here. When that wasn't the time, to take charge and taking a point because you didn't have something to really take a point for 
because there was nothing to level out in what occurred. So, you know, you look at it and you say, you know, everyone thinks that they can do it. It's not what people think. It takes someone who's got, you know, a great knowledge of the fight game, everything that happens in the fight game, and it's very smart. That's why the guys that, you know, do it well, you know, they're smart guys. You know, how long have you been around Jason Herzog? Now, Jason is a pain in the butt. Okay, we both know that. <laughs> well, I, but, no argument for me. A, Jason Herzog, pain in the okay. ass, yes. But what a great guy, and, and how smart is he? Smart and guy. that's why that's why you have By the way, he's been in school for like 20 years, if you don't know this. First thing you talk about Jason, oh my he's God, always yeah. in school for something, yes. I, I told him, I said, you know, you're always in school because not because you're smart and trying to learn something, because you can never pass. <laughs> <laughs> you're scared of life, Jason. It's so, oh, dude, we it's could go it, on and it, on about it. that. You just want to avoid life. That's why you're in your, your fifth master's degree. Yeah, but a smart guy, to your point, right? very smart and that's why he's so good at what he does because he he understands this is a time to do something you know it was the whole thing with the paulo costa and the uh eye poke it was the perfect time for him to take the point even though there were people who said oh i don't agree with that okay you don't agree with it that's because you don't understand it he did exactly the right thing he did another thing in the in the fight you know right after the saint denise fight where he actually gave a position when a fighter would not put himself back into the same position. He said, okay, you want to cheat? I'm going to let this guy put his hands right here. And, he, and it was the right thing to do. So Jason is super smart. Jason understands the game. And that's why he's so good. What's it like? And, of course, I'm speaking to Big John McCarthy, color commentator for Bellator MMA and also a former referee. Uh, from the, the, the seat I was sitting in, which you have now, the most maddening thing for me is when referees did something they're literally not supposed to do, and you have to translate that to an audience. And my my play-by-play, whoever it might be, Marwanello, it, it doesn't matter, Sean Grandy would go, why is the referee doing that? And I would say, well, they can't do that, but they are. Like, no, I, I don't know what to tell you. Is it extra frustrating for you as a former referee to go, yeah, well, he shouldn't have done that, but here we are. What's that like? Yeah, you know, that's exactly what it is. It's frustrating because you're like, what are you doing? You can't do that. But they're doing it. And so you've got to say, well, look, I, this, is what, this is the way I'm looking at it. You know, it shouldn't be done this way, but this is what he's doing. And I believe this is the reason why. And you just got to try to hash it out for the fans so they kind of have somewhat of an understanding, even though you yourself are sitting there going, I have no idea what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> no idea why he's doing that. But it's, it's so unique and it's so different in, in terms of – you know, if, if Troy Aikman's working a football game and, you know, the referee throws a flag and goes holding, they don't go. What happens now? Well, it's holding. It's no. 10 yards, first down. Yeah, It's the same every time. And in our sport, John, it's all over the place. Where I'm like, ah, you know, he could take a point. He could not take a point. He could disqualify me and call in the doctor. That You know, there, there's so many gray areas, right? Well, that's, and that's because there's so little for the referee to actually have at their disposal to handle the problem because it's, there is no five yard, you know, our five yard penalties is the warning, you know, because you take a point we're talking about that's, you know, that pass interference down the feet, the field. So you got to be really judicious in when you're going to take a point and have a reason for taking the point because you're altering the fight in a big way. You know, it's not like the, you know, the five-yard penalty in football or something. So you've got to be, you know, smart about it. And it's, sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's, it's almost like a no-win situation. 
Uh, I got to ask another thing now that I have John McCarthy on the phone, of course, color commentator with Bellator MMA, former referee, the coach for Saint-Denis. I just, I'm going to completely admit it, I just crucified that guy because he said in an interview, it never even occurred to me to throw in the towel. Now, you could say that he shouldn't have or whatever. The idea that it never crossed his mind means a big part of your job never crossed your mind, and you aren't looking at the the fight like an objective person should. And this is something we hear over and over again. Anthony Smith said, I I, I have an agreement with my corner to never throw in the towel. To me, your corner has agreed to not do their job. And I can't see it any other way. Am I wrong, John? No, you're not wrong because it's, it's the hardest call to make based upon your love for the guy that's supposedly – you know, in that cage, you're supposed to love that guy. You're supposed to know more about him than anybody. And you know when they are not doing what they need to do to win this fight. You know when they're not going to win the fight. The biggest thing is people are afraid to do it because they're afraid of the fighter saying, you didn't believe in me, or they're afraid of losing their job. But when a guy says, I didn't even think about that, well, he also should have thought about saying something better than you're getting hit too much. Really? Yeah. If yeah. he didn't think his fighter knew that at that time, come on, man. You know, your job, that's why I love the Trevor Whitmans, the John Hackelmans. They take care of their fighters. They will throw in the towel. They will stop the fight because they know their fighter and they know, hey, this is it. They've given everything they can give. They can't give any more. It's time to get them out. You know, it's funny. Um, Not funny. Sometimes I guess it's tragic. Um, I said on air for Bellator one time, and I, I forget which corner it was, I said... Bad coaching sounds like cheerleading. Bad coaching oh sounds like your mom. You can do it, champ. Get up there and get. I was like, my, my effing mom. And I, it was some coach, and he was telling this. Coach, and I said, great. My mom could have said all that. Get up, get him, Tiger. You got this. Go for it. It's it's all you. That Like, yeah, okay. My mom. Could, I, am I not giving my mom 10% here? What the hell? And when I start hearing that, and one of my best examples, John, I don't know if you remember this one, was – and this is way back, Jens Pulver versus BJ Penn won. And his corner kept saying, go at him, Hilo style. And I'm like, what the F is go at him, Hilo style? They had no idea what to do because BJ Penn was so talented, he had always just kind of done it. What's your thought of that cheerleading in the quarter, man, as you said? It dry. You're absolutely yeah. right. Like, you know, I'm not going to name the people that have done it throughout. You know, the time of MMA. I can name 10, there. bro. I can name oh, 10 God, off of the top of my head. Go ahead. So so can I, and I'm not going to do it. But but then there's, there's the opposite ones that do so well. But you can even see, in the, and here's the difference. Someone like a Greg Jackson, and I was watching this just last week. Greg Jackson is so calm in a corner. You know, he's, he, they kind of have a system between him and Mike Winklejohn as far as, you know, if it's a stand-up fight, Winklejohn is talking. And Greg Jackson is actually cheerleading, and he's doing it for the judges. Or in reverse, if it's on the ground, Greg Jackson is coaching, and Mike Winklejohn is cheerleading so you know they, they've got a very good system in the way they do it but he's always so, super calm every and everything that he says he's super calm hey move right here good job that's what you need to do and then i'm watching him with carissa shields because look she's just not she wasn't she's not prepared to be on the ground with someone right now in mma right. and he's you can tell the frustration because he's saying you know dig your left under left under of course carissa left under you <laughs> and it's like Oh, even Greg Jackson could get to that point when their fighters not doing what you know, they need you to get... be doing. But no, yeah, it's uh, cheerleading is bad. 
and, and it's so common in our sport. It, it, it's ridiculous. And it's frustrating sometimes sitting there listening to it. But as commentators, that's our job is sit there and listen to it and translate. I'm glad you're doing it, my man. Well, first off, uh, safe travels to Ireland. Have a great time. Party afterward. Enjoy it as much as possible. Beltor has a great card coming up. Be sure to check it out. Thank you so much for your time, as always, Big John. Thank you, Jimmy. I want to tell you, man, you're doing a phenomenal job. Keep up what you're doing, especially with the uh, the, um, the WWE. I don't want to say anything, but you're doing a great job. Continue on, brother. Thank, thank you so much, my man. I appreciate it. Busy working six days a week, but I'm doing it. Big John McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen, Bellator MMA. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL, taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. Kamzat Shemaev, of course, coming back from uh, COVID, had some really difficult symptoms, spitting up blood, et cetera, et cetera. Came back, always happy to hear that. Always happy to hear that. Never want to see someone ill and sick and all that crap. So, number one, as a human being, I'm glad he's back and and, and healthy. But he had taken uh, about a year off. And remember, he took back-to-back fights. Uh, Reese McKee, Gerald Mearshart, and before that, he had a 10-day turnaround, a UFC record between John Phillips and Reese McKee, but flattened uh, Gerald Mearshart Mearshart in 17 seconds. Then a year off, COVID, problems, came back, Lee Jing Long, how would he do? Took him down, took his back, whooped his ass, choked him out, yelling at Dana White the entire time. There is hitting the first pitch after a long layoff. There is hitting a home run. And there is a grand slam. I would say this was the grand slam that Kamzat Shemaev needed. Great ground game. Great takedown. Sharp striker. We haven't seen a ton of his kickboxing. Uh, Hard to hit. Big for the weight class. Let's keep that in mind. Yeah, trouble making weight. Did make it. But he's a big guy who can fight 185 and 170. That means he's a big 170. So he has all the physical tools necessary. What did we learn? Okay, he took on the number 11 guy, blew him out of the water. But um, I'm not one of those people right now yelling for a title shot. I'm yelling for him taking on a top 10 guy. I'm yelling him, yelling for him to take on a veteran name. I'm yelling for him to take on a real strong 170-pounder, maybe another guy with another grappling background. Good wrestler, great jiu-jitsu, something like that to challenge him. The issue I have right now is Nate Diaz is not any of those things. Not ranked at 55, not ranked at 170, not a big 170 at all. Doesn't have great takedown defense. Wrestlers tend to be his kryptonite. He does well against guys who stand and bang with him uh, who don't have a ton of knockout power. Kamzat Shemaev is literally none of those things. And yet, it seems as though Kamzat Shemaev versus Nate Diaz is the fight everyone is talking about and the one that it appears 
Dana White wants to make. Now, he did an interview with TMZ about Shemaya versus Nate Diaz. Here's what he had to say. I saw that in the press conference after the fight, he asked for Nate Diaz. I can only imagine what that would be like. Is that something, is that a fight you're looking into, Dana? Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to talk to Nate about it. So, so if Nate is down, you are, you are down yourself to make that fight happen. 100%. I love that. I can't imagine how that fight was going to. I do. He takes him down and beats him up. He's he's always had, Nate, a problem with big physical wrestlers. That's been his kryptonite his entire career. This is a big, gigantic physical wrestler with great ground. Does he submit Nate? Maybe not. Nate's defense is just really, really good. It would take a lot to submit Nate Diaz. That's ice skating uphill. All right, you don't want to take the, the toughest road to Nate Diaz. You can knock him out. He has been knocked out. Okay, you can beat him by decision. You can out-wrestle him. Submitting him is very, very, very hard. He has lost once by submission his entire career, and that was, I think, seven fights in against, I remember it was Hermes Franca, beat him with an armbar. That's it. Hasn't been submitted since then. He's been against some great submission guys. But when you look at the people who have beat him, Rory McDonald, Dong Hyun Kim, Benson Henderson, Rafael Dos Anjos, what did they do? Even, even Jorge Masvidal took him down and beat him up. Leon Edwards is the only one that stood with, him, stood with him for an extended period of time and outboxed him recently. Of course, uh, Josh the Punk Thompson knocked him out. But that's it, basically. That's it. If you can take him down, you can beat him. Kamzat Shemaev will have no trouble taking Nate Diaz down. Kamzat Shemaev is a head and shoulders bigger than Nate Diaz. That mother, did you remember, did you see the, the stare down, Kelly, between when Li Jinglong and, and, and uh, Kamzat Shemaev? Jesus. Yes. Could you Huge. believe they were in the same weight class? No. 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 Middleweight versus a welterweight is what it looked like. And Li Jinglong is not, not a small welterweight, right? Didn't matter. Kamzat's a big dude. Once again, want your opinions on it. Who should Kamzat Shemaev fight next? One, uh, it's 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. Not Nate Diaz. I know that's the money fight. I know why Shemaev is calling him out. It's a big money fight. There's a lot of interest in it. It'll sell very, very well. And I think he beats the dog piss out of Nate Diaz. Period. End of sentence. And also, when you look at it, Nate uh, Nate has one win in his last four fights over Anthony Pettis. So he's not exactly on a tear. He's not a natural welterweight. He has this, the, that's the style, which is the wrestling takedown, ground and pound, heavy pressure, top centric kind of style that has always given him problems. Shemayev has looked absolutely amazing. He F's Nate up. I really believe that. I think it looks like uh, Rory McDonald all over again. Just suplex city. No chance. And I don't say that lightly. You know, Nate can always pull off the upset. He's a very dangerous guy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Oh, that's right. He had a good minute against Leon Edwards. What was I thinking, Kel? I am shocked and disappointed that you forgot that. I, I am. Everyone so, thinks, I what apologize. if there was one more round? If there was, what could Nate Diaz do? If that stupid referee hadn't stopped that doctor in the Masvidal fight, right? Right? Right. He's about Nate to Diaz make his well comeback. Yep. Diaz Army, what? 
What? Right? KLB 209, huh? Totally reasonable fans. Most reasonable fans in MMA is about to win. Yo, give me a break. He gets murked by, by Shemaev. So, um, I want to say a couple things. Nate Diaz has one fight left on his UFC contract. So, it behooves Dana White to have him get his ass kicked. Send him out on a loss. We all know how it works. If somebody's leaving, you want him to leave on a loss. Fine. I get it. But here's the caveat. The caveat is Nate knows that too. Nate knows that as well. That Dana White wants him to lose in his last fight. I don't think he accepts a fight with Kamzat Shemaev for any amount of money. I really believe that. Now, Nate has been able throughout his career now, him and Nick, do things other fighters get crucified for. And nobody seems, now the Diaz, but you know, War Diaz, all that stuff, you know, he can lose and lose and lose and lose and lose, and it doesn't seem to matter. His fans still stick by him. They still want to watch him. They still love him. Great. Wonderful. Good for him. So a loss to Kamsat Shemayev doesn't hurt him that much, really. He's not a 170-pounder. But why go out on a loss if you don't have to? And the one thing about Nate is he doesn't have to. Apparently, he's making enough money as his own weed strain, all this stuff. Apparently, he's doing all right. Life is pretty good for Nate Diaz. So I don't think Dana White can ask him about it. They can talk. They can beg. They can plead. They can offer him a, a, a Brinks truck full of money. I don't believe he fights Kamzat Shemaev. No effing way does he fight Kamzat Shemaev. So who does? KOB. Think there's any chance? What What do you bet? What odds would you give me uh, against Nate Diaz fighting Kamzat Shemaev? I would be shocked if he shot that fight stunned yeah that is everything that i would think nate diaz would want no part of and it's not a matter of like oh yeah like the diaz brothers don't duck fights i'm saying this is low low reward high risk for nate a guy who could probably ragdoll him all over the place i don't ugly fight too yeah ugly fight yep i don't think he wants any part of it he wants nothing to it it, it'll look bad because he'll get murked in a grappling way it just isn't good, and it's aesthetically bad. He knows all of those things. Especially, he, too, like with Dana saying he's got one fight left on his contract, that ain't going to be Nate Diaz's last fight. Nope. I doubt it. No way. No way. My pick for who Kamzat Shemaev should fight at this point, he beat number 11, Li Jinglong. I think uh, probably it's going to be Neil Magny at number 8, or... If they can't work out something soon, Michael Chiesa at number six. Those would be my two. Why? They're well-rounded. Um, they're good on the ground. They have excellent jujitsu. They will test Michael Chiesa's ability to do other... Th- um, I'm sorry. Uh, Kamzat Shemaev's ability to do other things. I would say Michael Chiesa at number six or Neil Magny at number eight. Those would be my two. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. 
Sirius XM Podcasts.